Well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. Glad to see y'all out on this uh, beautiful evening. We're so grateful for. Um, I'm going to begin tonight uh, as we are going to be delving into Luke um, tonight. Um, Psalm 67. Um, tags a little bit on what we studied last week and uh, then again tonight. When God shows up, when God does things in our lives uh, that we really, really appreciate and value, how do we respond? And maybe even a better question is, why does God do that? Like, when's the last time you said, Lord, I just need a blessing? And I would assume that God is excited to hear that kind of prayer. But what's the purpose of God giving us a blessing? And maybe Psalm uh, 67 can kind of set our hearts off on a right place tonight as we uh, begin our time together. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you the rule of the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to work our way to the city of Capernaum. We've been trying to learn... Jesus' home area, hometown, to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Hopefully now we've got a little geography behind us, a little history behind us, a little feel of the land. And so we can appreciate, maybe, the fact that Capernaum gets the title, Jesus' Town. It's his adopted hometown. So when he got to pick where he lived, he lived in Capernaum. Which raises kind of an interesting question. There's three towns, well, three towns that really kind of mark Jesus' life. So the first one is, of course, Bethlehem, where he was born. And it's way down south in Jerusalem. It was in, or way down south in Judea. It was in the kingdom of Judah. What kind of experience did he and his family have in Bethlehem? Oh, it was it was wonderful. It was a Christmas card. He he was born in a barn with animals, and uh, wise men came and dirty shepherds. You know, Mary was very. I mean, it, it, it was it wasn't the best best experience, right? Uh, 
Mary having to give birth by herself in a town in which she was related to everyone. There was no mother for her, no grandmother, no cousin, nobody that would come out that night and help her give birth to a child. They left it to him, and we're not even sure Joseph was in the room. So... Kind of the first start, Nazareth wasn't great. Somebody appears to have taken them in, though. They stay there for a couple of years. Uh, then they have to flee to Egypt. Herod sends his men to kill the, the newborns, you know, that slaughter of the innocents. So maybe Jesus did not look at Nazareth or at Bethlehem with such fond memories. What about Nazareth? How was life in Nazareth? It was a trailer park, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't uh, the height of society. It, it, was, it was a pretty uh, rough uh, setting. Um, a lot seems to have gone on. Uh, a lot seems to have gone on for uh, poor Jesus in being uh, ridiculed, and we'll see some of that tonight. Uh, people calling him the son of Mary. So Jews generally go by the name of their father. So his name was Yeshua bar Yosef, Jesus son of Joseph. And they think they're cute when they say he's Jesus son of Mary, implying that he is illegitimate. Um, it, that stigma never, never sort of leaves. Joseph, of course, had been called, his dad had been called a Zedek, a righteous man. We've talked about that before, but it's, it's a very rare distinction in Scripture that God says, uh, or people say, that you are worth following. You are someone that's actually keeping the law, and you're doing it. This is someone to emulate. And so Joseph loses all of that when he takes Mary home to be his wife. So a lot of scandal. Tonight we're going to look at Jesus' final visit to his hometown, um, see how that goes. And then he's going to leave Nazareth. He's going to go to Capernaum. So there's, there's sort of a direct relationship between the two. But before we get too far into it, I'd like to remind you, Ezekiel 16, if you can remember Ezekiel without shaking and crying, it was a long study, but there was a lot of interesting things in Ezekiel. There was a passage in Ezekiel when God, I think, sort of let down his emotional guard, if we can say that. And... God is our ultimate parent. He loves us. He cares for us. He will fight for us. He will die for us. He really is the one that will stay with us. But it's not always easy to be our parent. And we, we tend to forget that. That it's really hard to love us sometimes. And you have sort of the pain of that coming out in Ezekiel 16. Remember when God used this, this very descriptive language. Uh, he says, uh, blah, 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 blah. well, um, this is Isaiah 16, verse 4. When you were born, no one cared about you. Your umbilical cord was left uncut, and you were never washed or rubbed with salt. Uh, no one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied or cared for you. On the day you were born, you were dumped in a field and left to die unwanted. And so God begins the story right there, that when I came to you, <clears throat> you were a baby born in a field, left to die. 
And so God tells, you know, I, I picked you up, I cleaned you, I cared for you, I fed for you, I raised you, I taught you, I protected you. And when you grew up, this is what you did. Um, it's, it's painful to hear. Um, God says, was it not enough that you should be a prostitute? So this is what his young girl grows up to do. But must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? In all your years of adultery and loathsome sin, have you never once thought of the days long ago when you laid naked in a field kicking about in your own blood? I mean, it's that real admission from God. It's hard to love us sometimes. We are not the giving, caring <clears throat> people that we, we sometimes claim. Uh, in many ways, Jesus has that same kind of experience here on earth. If anybody can say, I give and I give and I give, <laughs> and I don't get a lot back, Jesus is going to sort of express those emotions. And the big question for us tonight to get our brain around is why? What is it about us that makes us so resistant to God's love? Now, I don't want to give any misimpression. God's always going to love us. He's always going to care for us. But when's the last time we really asked, how do you feel, God? How are you? Um, so we'll, we'll look at Jesus' three responses to the three main cities he spends his time in. But let's jump over to Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has gone south into Judea, first to see John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist do for him? Obviously, baptized him. Why did he do that? He needed to be, he needed to get rid of those sins, right? Jesus, why, why did he get baptized? To what? He wanted it, sure. Yeah, exactly. He, he has this pattern where he's reliving Israel. He's been through the water. Right after this, he goes and wanders in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, he's tempted there, so he's reliving that. But he's also showing us the way to live. He's fulfilling, in a sense, the law. Not trying to end it, but showing us really how it's meant to be done. So some of the things he'll do, he doesn't have to do, but he does for our benefit to, to teach us. So he gets baptized, goes to the wilderness of 40 days, and then in verse 14, we begin the official uh, ministry of Jesus in the north, uh, and really the beginning of his role as rabbi, and then we discover he's a lot more than any rabbi. But verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So he's going to do most of his teaching, most of everything, up in this area that we've been talking about. He became well-known throughout the surrounding countryside. Well, sorry, I skipped a verse. Uh, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit. Soon he became well-known throughout the surrounding countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So again, this is what rabbis do. When at age 30, they 
have reached a level that they can begin to take disciples, begin to teach their interpretation. They travel around, they're itinerant preachers, and they expect local towns to take care of them. They delay marriage. I know a lot of times Christians get worked up about this. Why didn't Jesus get married? Marriage must be bad or all these things. The only segment of Jewish society that doesn't get married relatively young are rabbis. They wait until after they've spread their their teaching, uh, and then they'll settle down and get married. So uh, Jesus is following that pattern very, very closely. But he's traveling around. Again, like we've learned in the Galilee, they tend to be rabbinic. Uh, They focus on the synagogues. This is their central life. They do the festivals in Jerusalem, but it's not their center focus. So Jesus is going to these synagogues, and he is interpreting scripture, uh, teaching uh, his particular third category. We'll read in the other Gospels that one of the places he has a great deal of success is Capernaum. And I just want to jump ahead. Ken, I'm, I'm way out of order, so forgive me. But we've got a picture if you can recall, of Jesus' synagogue in Nazareth, where he grew up. So, yeah, that's the synagogue in Capernaum. And actually, I'm cheating a little bit here. This is uh, a little bit after Jesus' time. The synagogue he would have preached at is underneath this, but they're about the same size. So take a look at that one. What's your feeling? What's its size? And then if we can flip back to the Nazareth synagogue. Okay. Did you get it? Can we switch back one more time? (laughs) Okay. Good seating, nice light, pillars, really good decoration. And the next one. And it's a dump. (laughs) It's small. It's not very... So can you feel the difference between Capernaum and Nazareth? Uh, Capernaum is about a thousand people. Boomtown. Making a lot of money off fish. Uh, Nazareth is still an old farming village with some workers that are doing stone mason work. Um, Capernaum is not obviously the largest city in the area by any stretch. It has a Roman garrison. Uh, Nazareth doesn't have that. But Jesus is being accepted in Jewish synagogues around Galilee. They're understanding this is a man of incredible insight. This man is, is a rabbi to be followed. And... There's an edge to him. Uh, he teaches with authority. Shimcha, they say. It's, it's, he's neither school. He's not Shammai. He's Hillel. He doesn't sound like the Pharisees. He doesn't sound like the Sadducees. He's different. <clears throat> and there's whispers, right? He may actually be the one. He may be the Messiah. They're hearing about his miracles. Some have happened already in Capernaum. Big things are happening. So now he comes back to Nazareth. Oh, isn't that a great day? All the people that made fun of you, all the people that said you would never amount to anything, all the people that made fun of your mother. It's a source later on, but there's, uh, in the Talmud, there's writing about Jesus. And it's, it's hard to read. It's, it's so hateful. Um, they call him son of the panther, uh, which means he was the son of a Roman soldier that Mary had messed around with a Roman soldier. They call him a momser which is probably maybe worse than dog in Hebrew. It's an incredible uh, insult. It, 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 it means bastard. Uh, it's horrible. So now he gets to come back. He's well-respected. He's a rabbi plus. Uh, 
He's a rabbi doing amazing things. This is his moment. This little town is going to get rocked by Jesus, right? All right, so let's, let's read what happens. You probably know this story, but um, verse 16. When they came to the village, so it's not the metropolis, the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue, and there's probably a lot of meaning behind that. He's a regular visitor back in his life, that synagogue. But he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. What day is that? Saturday. We Christians muck that up. Um, Saturday is the day of rest. Sunday is the day of worship. But uh, he went on Saturday and stood up to read the scripture. Now, remember the center focus of this gathering place in the synagogue is the scripture. There's no surviving Torah uh, ark that we found in Nazareth, so they probably just had a jar. I mean, just much, much poorer socioeconomic condition. But you can't just go in and read the Bible. Uh, you have to be somebody that's acknowledged, uh, respected. You have to be a rabbi or an elder to be able to hold the scripture and interpret it for people. They don't just let any Joe Blow like me come in there. Um, this is recognition of his status in society. So uh, he stood to read the scripture, the scroll containing the message of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him and he enrolled it to where he enrolled it to the place where it says and then the quote the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has appointed me to preach good news and what language is that I mean what word is that okay so would the word gospel be used in the Old Testament no so think for a minute what word is that? And how important is that? Because that's actually the word that Jesus used. It's called the Basora. This is uh, the biblical gospel. Uh, it is the time in which we talked about in Ezekiel, where God calls everybody back home. The Jews will return from exile, and they will climb again the mountain of God. They will climb uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel discovered, hey, something strange is happening. We Jews are coming back, even the lost tribes, and with us are Gentiles. Who knew they believed in God? But they're coming back to God. Now, this is the end of the world. This is judgment. This is the coming of the Messiah. This is the culmination of human history all in this moment. So Jesus is, is playing up this. He's, he's saying, I am the one. John the Baptist alluded to it, but it's now happening here. The Basora is happening. The kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. And the proofs of it, according to the prophecy in Isaiah, is that the captives will be released, i.e. the captives who were Jews in exile, and they will be able to return home. The blind will see, and we see Jesus perform many miracles sort of accomplishing this. Not only does he physically restore sight to people that are blind, but to humanity, to people in general that are blind to what God is trying to do, that is where Jesus is, is also bringing light. The downtrodden will be fed from their oppressors, and that time of the Lord's favor has come. So to sort of couple it with Basora, that this is, 
there's so many names to it. The, the year of Ju- Jubilee, the, the consolation of Israel, the, 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 this is it. So not a long sermon, but a powerful teaching. And then in incredible rabbinic fashion, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, the scripture has come true today before your very eyes. So remember that blind stuff. But right here, right now, the Basora has come. The Messiah has come. So again, they knew him as a great rabbi, maybe a little extra miracles, but bam, here I am. And the crowd goes wild, right? What, what do they do? <laughs> That's our boy. Actually, look, look what they do. 22. All who were there, all who were there spoke well of him and were amazed by his gracious words that fell from his lips. We forget this, but if you look back, certainly further, you go back in time. One of the ways they really judged a person is their ability to speak. I mean, it was one of the clearest signs of education. Now, that's changed a lot because we have mass media and we all listen to television and it affects the way our speech patterns. But if you had spent your entire life studying scripture, you would speak different than a farmer who only studied scripture when somebody else read it to them or when they were little kids. And so they're acknowledging, and I love this, people say, Jesus had no degrees, had no, please, please read the scriptures. People that heard him were amazed. He is clear, insightful, what he knows about scripture. They don't have a problem with what he's saying. In fact, they're kind of glad for it. How can this be, they ask isn't this Joseph's son? So they're amazed. It's, uh, it's going on here. Finally, Jesus is going to find a town that loves him. It's great. What's this thing about Joseph's son? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, it certainly makes him mortal. And we should sort of appreciate, they didn't at all associate Messiah with being the son of God. We Christians do that automatically, um, but the Gospels are teaching us that's, that's a new thing, that the two are combined. They thought the Messiah would probably be like a David, or, or maybe a rabbi like David, but uh, a person to deliver us. So Jesus will, will teach them their way through that, but... I, I think it's a, an introduction into what the other Gospels are going to tell us about the, the reaction. So do you want to go through the reaction or do you want to go into the rabbi stuff? Which would you want to do? Like keep going through the text here or yeah. go to the other places? Or I go through, the, go through this. Okay, we'll, we'll go through this if you want. Or yeah. the rabbi stuff. Well, what, when they start making fun of him. They, well, yeah, go, go, go to the other, other, other two Gospels and see how it's, tell them how it's different. Okay. Go for it. Okay. We so, did prepare, I promise. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Actually, we get so excited, we prepare too much, and then we're like, oh my gosh, we don't have enough time. So, to, to follow this, this argument, the other Gospels give us sort of insight into 
how the town is reacting to him. And I should say the adult men in the synagogue end up reacting to him. And it, it gets ugly very quickly. And we'll, we'll come back why that is. It's something that Jesus said not being the Messiah was okay. I mean, being the Messiah was okay. Uh, being a deliverer, what he ends up saying to them is, I'm not here to do miracles for you. I'm not here to put Nazareth on the map. And at that point, they get mad because they think he's supposed to come back and help them. He, you're the hometown boy. You have all this. Certainly God must have sent you to defend Nazareth. And he says, no, I, I've actually got bigger things to do than this town. And so they get very angry at him, and we'll, we'll look at what that is. But as they start to accuse him of things, the insults are interesting uh, that they get. So I think the first that we have is Mark. Um, is it six? I think it's six. Yeah. Yeah, so Jesus left that part of the country and returned home uh, with his disciples of Nazareth, his hometown. The next day, Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did you get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So a similar version. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him. So we, we look at what they're accusing here, and we talked about this a little bit at the end of last session. Um, Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was a, was a rabbi. They're saying he's just a carpenter. So look, look at what they're saying and, and how they're saying it. They call him the son of Mary. What is that? It's a huge insult. It's back to that momster territory. Um, you're illegitimate. You're not Joseph's son. You're Mary's son. So the tone of this is not pretty and nice, is it? And I would maintain to you that when they start in with this carpenter's son stuff, or, or carpenter, it literally is carpenter's son, um, that they're, they're trying to be as insulting as they possibly can to him. Uh, we have a mere passage that comes from Matthew 13. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country it's be longer. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, where he taught there in the synagogues. Everyone was amazed and said, where does uh, he get this wisdom and the power to do these miracles? So some similar account. Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brother, James, Joseph, Simon, Jews. So similar. Uh, so we've got two references to the fact that when it comes down to it, they start saying, well, he's just a carpenter's son. And this, of course, is what Christians have kind of run with. We don't often understand what he did for the first 30 years. So we hear this, and we come up with, oh, he was a carpenter. And we've gone kind of crazy with this. Um, you, you still see a lot of this. I mean, we know, but, um, you know, Jesus making wooden desks. Or that there's Catholic infant stories. And I don't particularly mean to pick on Catholics, but this is one of the things they teach about when Jesus was an infant. That it turns out that Joseph was a really bad carpenter. And so he would make tables and stuff, and they would wobble. They wouldn't fit together right. So baby Jesus would go touch them, and then they would form perfectly. All the measurements would be right, and people would be amazed at what a great carpenter Joseph was. 
Now, is that the gospel? Is that reality? Not at all. It's fantasy. It's make-believe. But our minds got really excited because we can understand carpenter, despite the fact that it's a tecton and it's a stonemason. It has nothing to do with it. So there are two accounts here in the Gospels where he's called a carpenter. Who calls him a carpenter? The, the people in the town. And what I would maintain to you is that they're doing this at a level of insult. Now just hold on to that for a minute. There are 90 times in the four Gospels that people refer to Jesus directly. So 90 times they're giving him a title and uh, you know a degree of respect or derision, depending on the context. So 90 times. What do you think is the most common title that people give him in direct uh, references? Rabbi. 60 times out of 90, they call him teacher or rabbi. It's the same in Greek and English. You know how many times a Pharisee calls Jesus a carpenter? Never. How many times Pilate or the Sadducees that have every reason in the world to hate him How many times they call him a carpenter? Never. So more than any other title, he is referred to as a rabbi, which is why we teach the way that we do. Now, I don't know what it says about the Christianity that we went so crazy with these two references, just two, to carpenter when they were insults. Now, with all insults, Stephen and I are talking about this today, there's a measure of truth, right? The other insult they like is that he's the son of Mary. Well, he is the son of Mary. But the implication then is that he's illegitimate. Was he? No, not at all. Um, the virgin birth is something I think we really need to stand on and believe. It's, it's a miracle. We need to appreciate it. Even the fact that people that immediately around it disrespected it. But if we're really going to try to look at the scriptures and weigh the scriptures, I'm not saying dismiss this carpenter stuff at all. I think there is something to this story. I mean, they knew how to pick at him. He probably did have skills uh, growing up with a father. That's what you do most of the time. Your job is what your father did. So to say to a rabbi, you are what your father did, is saying you're a failed rabbi. You don't know what you're talking about. So it's a specific kind of insult. So there's something to it, but... I really don't think we should walk around and ignore the 60 times Jesus' disciples, enemies, Romans, everybody refer to him as a rabbi. Does that make sense? Do you want to add? Or be? Great job. No. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to Luke 4. And we'll look at what, what Jesus did to get him into so much trouble. And please, as we read this, understand Jesus is making choices. He is not reading a script. He's not, oh, this is the next thing I will do on my path to writing the gospel. It's not. He's a real person. He's a real God. And he has a real personality. So at least in Luke's gospel, he has won over his hometown. This is before the insults have started. They're impressed by the way he's speaking, impressed with what he's saying, and then he picks a fight. 
And Verse before, 23. Before, he launches into, before Pastor Kurt launches into this, I want you to try to get yourself in that spot where you are, like, maybe think of a time in your life where you have felt really, really pleased with God and pleased with your relationship with God. And then you read something in the scripture, heard something in a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt. <laughs> and uh, it's like something changes. Or you just say, well, I really like this about what Jesus says. But that love your enemy thing, nah, I'm out. That's kind of the ground we are about to walk into now. That's perfect, yeah. So 23, this is Luke chapter 4, 23. Then he said, probably you will quote me the proverb, physician heal yourself. So again, he's being very rabbinic. They have all this stuff memorized, and so they're bringing it forth. It shows their command. Now, when you first hear that, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Physician, heal yourself. What? So Jesus says, he will explain it, meaning, why don't you do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum? So Jesus, you're from here. You're, you're amongst us. Why don't you do a little, you know, little sparkle for us? How about heal a blind man or two or raise a dead person? We got a leper, you know, he, he needs some work. How about a little, little something for the hometown? Put us on the map. Let's make us great. Jesus is anticipating and I think even reading their hearts a little bit here. Um, 24. But the truth is... No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many uh, widows in Israel who needed help in Elijah's time. Now, what did he just do here? Went to, uh, what, how was he going to prove his point? By scripture. And I know a lot of times we're conditioned to think, oh, that's, that's what the Bible does. It's, it, and it, it is. But please understand, this again is part of the rabbinic function. The way you know truth is scripture. Just like we follow Jesus into baptism, I think we need to stop and appreciate if God himself spent 30 years studying scripture so that he could have a three-year ministry. Think about that. 30 years on earth getting ready to be a rabbi, and then he taught for three and a half years. We do that in reverse today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pastor Steve and I, we, you know, we go to seminary for four years, three or four years, and then we teach for 30 years. But Jesus did the opposite. Um, what does that say about the study of Scripture? How important is it? How should we know truth? How should we know life? So what he's going to prove to them now is sort of going to challenge what they know about Scripture and, again, demonstrate the the way we know God's will is from his word. So, Pastor Kurt, what kind of affection would these people have towards Elijah? Well, Elijah, yeah, is is possibly, they whisper, one of the messiahs. Because remember how Elijah died? How did he die? 
Yeah, I watched a program on the History Channel, and apparently a UFO took him. But it was a, a tornado of fire and a chariot of fire that came down and lifted him up, ancient aliens for sure. And they took him back into the heavens. And so the people are thinking, oh, the Messiah was going to be like Elijah. He's going to come back. It's going to be miraculous and wonderful. And again, if Jesus will just do that here, oh, we could sell souvenirs and corn dogs and maybe not corn dogs. That's not a good thing, Kurt. Um, <laughs> exactly. Kosher, kosher dogs, right, right. We'll be famous, Jesus. Um, but he's drawing their attention to something that Elijah did that's not so comfortable. Well, and also by this time, um, in every Passover, no, every Sabbath, yep. every Sabbath meal was once a week, they would set an extra chair around the table for, so Elijah's their guy. Really? Go ahead. Yeah, Steve does a good job of trying to get everybody to watch The Chosen, which you, you really should. It's, it's done amazingly well. They worked hard at the scripture. But there's a Passover that Jesus shows up at, and he just walks and sits down in Elijah's chair. And they all sort of perk up. But it's that kind of attitude that Jesus sort of is with them. He's, you, you have all these ideas, but let me show you in real time, in real life, this is happening. It's happening right here. So he takes it back to Elijah's time when there was no rain for three and a half years. Do we know something about that? Yeah. And hunger stalked the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. These are the widows in Israel. He was sent, sent instead of the... I can't talk tonight. He was sent instead to a widow of... Zarephath, how do you say that? Zarephath. Zarephath. Which is what? Yeah, a foreigner in the land of Sidon. Mm. So Sidon, Sidon, is the place of the Canaanites, the Philistines. These are the baby uh, burners. These are the people who taught Israel how to kill their own children. Um, there's two big cities that they come from, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Tyre is the hometown of Satan, Baal. Um, Jesus will say that, Baal Zavul. Uh, Satan, Beelzebub, is from Tyre. So when he says uh, Elijah was sent to the foreign woman instead of all the widows that could have used help in Israel, they're starting to think, hey, wait a minute, you hippie. Um, what about us? You know, it's not just a normal day outside if you haven't noticed, Jesus. We're not asking because we're greedy or we're wrong. Have you noticed what's going on outside, Jesus? I mean, maybe you have a big time in Capernaum with, with all your rich fish friends, but the Romans are crushing us to death. Our land is polluted with moral filth. Uh, Jesus, have you looked up the road at Caesarea Philippi? Do you see what they're doing in the land of God? And so you're saying to us, the good, wholesome people who raised you and cared about you, wink, wink, um, that you can do nothing for us? You're dare going to quote us a scripture where the, the prophet of God goes to a foreigner instead of us? This is not the way. It, Jesus, 
physician, heal yourself. Take care of your own first. Take care of your own family, Jesus. We're your people, not the ones in Capernaum, and certainly, for God's sake, not the Romans. But he doesn't stop. Or think about the prophet Elisha, who healed Naaman, a Syrian, rather than the many lepers in Israel who needed help. So he's proved to them scripturally twice that God actually does care about all people. And this whole notion that you can predict, and and hear this clearly, because I think it's what Jesus is really after. This innate desire we have within us to tell God what to do. We did it in the garden. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to know. And as much as we don't admit it, we want God to do what we tell him. Don't we? Give us rain. Protect us from the Romans. Give us a good crop. Let my kids be born. I mean, all natural things to ask for. But we really, by God, expect God to do it. And you're seeing this insight into Jesus. I'm not here to be your entertainment. I'm not here to put on a little show so you all feel good. That This is not happening. So uh, let's just ponder a few things. Um, Pastor Kurt quoted this passage from Ezekiel. That the, uh, this basora, this gathering of God's people at the mountain would include who? Non-Jewish people. Uh, Gentiles. And that's a surprise. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham and his people would be a blessing to who? To the nations. Not just for their little thing, but for the nations. So Jesus has just read, so that's Ezekiel. Jesus has just read from a from the scroll in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. I mean, all that sounds so good. Now, remember, any good rabbi wants you to know and understand what's all around this passage. So let me just read some from Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now, how does that feel? It's great. It's exciting. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations, verse 3, will come to your light. And kings... To the brightness of your dawn, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters are carried on their hip. Then they will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. So what that makes that, what makes that really happen? When God's light is just shining on you? When it's shining on you and the nations and the people that God will use, God, God's going to use you to gather the people from all over. So I began our time together tonight from Psalm 67. As we prayed that, did you notice what the purpose of the blessing was for? God bless us. Why? 
so that your ways may be known in all the earth. Can you imagine what that must have been like um, for Jesus to share what he shared with these people that he grew up with, as hard as it probably was for him growing up there, um, and him, ha- him being this light that they had been longing for, this light that if, it, if accepted would cause other people to be drawn to him as well, and it would cause their hearts to throb with joy. See, sometimes we get stuck in wanting God to do things in our life because we believe if that will just happen, then my life will be good. And we miss, on the, uh, we miss out on the greater purposes God has for our lives. Remember, this is going all the way back to Genesis 2. Remember, our foundational purpose as followers of God, as followers of Jesus is to do two things. Remember those two things? Serve and protect. Avad and Shamar. Everybody? Avad and Shamar. You know, that's when God places Adam in the the garden to, uh, to work and tend. That's what it's usually translated. Avad and Shamar, serve and protect. And that as people made in his image, our primary purpose is that when people look at us, they should think of God. And so whenever that is actually played itself out in Elijah's story and in Elisha's story, oh, they love these guys. But when Jesus points out this part of their story, I mean, it, get, it drives him to the point of wanting to kill him. That's how bad it is. It reminds me, when we read this, it reminds me of Jonah. Jonah had this calling, this invitation from God to go to one of the worst places in the, in the world, to Nineveh. And to preach, the God, to preach uh, repentance there. And he goes, and he is a... An amazing success. The whole city, right, repents of their sin. These weren't fish slappers like on the Nineveh show, on the 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 VeggieTales uh, VeggieTales things. Yeah. These guys, Pastor Kurtz, if you've been around, I mean, they they strung your skins. They used they used human skins to decorate their city. They were so violent. And Jonah shows up there unwillingly. And he preaches, the, preaches uh, to the Ninevites, and they repent. And you know what? Jonah's angry about it. That's what's happening here. Is they're so consumed with anger and hatred towards their enemies that they don't want to hear anything, have anything to do with God showing up for them. And they miss out on the opportunity to embrace who Jesus is, not only for their sake, but for the sake of the world. So the historical accounts do tell us that the Galilean Jews are known for two things. The study of scripture, which they love, and they're the first to fight. The first to rebel against Romans. So Jesus grew up in a culture that really was ready to fight. And look what they do, verse 28. 
When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and took him to the edge of the hill on which the city was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. That's a hometown welcome. Um, This is how serious they take their faith and their religion. What miracle did Jesus ever perform in Nazareth? None. You. <laughs> no, seriously. You, look, you, you read the other two passages. He only could he could only heal a few yeah. sick people. So just a few. But they don't sort of lay it out like the healing of the blind and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not much. Uh, this is a hard ending, if you will, to his his time in Nazareth. And I really want you to hear it in Luke. It's not because he was claiming to be somebody great. It's not because he was claiming to be the Messiah or the miracles, but because he sort of challenged them about, uh, you just want a show. You just want me to do miracles for you. You're not interested in the truth of the scriptures, like Steve said, uh, helping everybody. So let me try to be Jesus for a moment and, and do what he did. It's always great when we hear about people that are not us being bad because we get the backhanded compliment that we're good. So let me ask you this. As much as God has blessed America, why are there more Christians in Africa right now than here? We pray for rain a lot. I see that on Facebook. Do we remember in the scripture why God withholds rain? We quote quote a lot of scripture, like Isaiah, why he shut the heavens. Why did he do that? Do we ignore it just like the Jews did? Because you're killing your children. Because they were sacrificing their children to Molech. We don't do that in America, do we? Oh, we still do. On a scale that the Canaanites couldn't possibly imagine. So we still want to tell God... In our own way, do this. Make America what it was. Uh, Fix us. Win our battles. Give us. But what would Jesus walk in the middle of and say to us? I'm not trying to be an anti-American. I love this country. But we all as humans have to struggle with this idea. We are here to learn the truth of Scripture. To follow our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord. He is not here to be our genie, our, our counselor, our you know, fix-it-all kind of guy. We have good counselors for that. He sends other people. But as much as we want, we cannot tell him what to do. And we, we really don't want that. Nazareth didn't really want that. They were saying it. We need Jesus to do what Jesus is willed by the Father to do. <clears throat> That's a... That's a hard place to be challenged. So, what questions do you have? Stunned silence? Nope. Hello, Tom. Go right ahead. Backing up just a little bit, he was quoting Isaiah. And um, in quoting Isaiah, then later he said, this is me, kind of thing. He said, he has anointed me to bring the good news 
Well, when he says he has anointed me, he also says he has messiahed me. So he's calling out himself as the Messiah in that statement. And they didn't really, they didn't balk at that part. No. No. Uh, you know, it's an interesting study, but there were a lot of messiahs running around. Um, in before Jesus and after Jesus. Now, they were fake messiahs, but to meet a messiah wasn't that unheard of. The, the unheard of part is one that wasn't killed by the Romans, um, which Jesus was, but he came back. I mean, the Romans were killing messiahs right and left. Um, there, there was one, I always love this joke, but there was one messiah in Josephus, and he said he had the power to reattach heads. That was his God-given ability. That was the proof. And so the Romans were duly impressed Wow, you can reattach heads? Let's prove it. And so they cut his head off, and apparently it didn't work. He couldn't get it back on. So darn. But yeah, um, Jesus was claiming to be the full deal. So, Daniel, I think we got two more. curious how it worked. When he was handed the scroll, Isaiah scroll, did he get to choose which scripture he read? Yes. Did yeah, he get to yeah. choose Isaiah or they just picked that for him? It looks like it says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So it's like there, there was a certain part of this was, that was not in his control but then he chose the scripture from Isaiah. He had a mastery of Isaiah for sure and then, then he, uh, he read from that spot. Yeah, the Jews have an old system called Parshas, where they divide up the scripture regularly. And so kind of like our lectionary on such and such date, you're reading this. But that only applies to the first five books of Moses. It shouldn't apply to Isaiah. So there is some element, like Steve's saying, where he's, he's getting to what he wants to say. And almost instantly, the Jews will associate the prophecies of Isaiah with the Messiah, because they're just so, so strong. Yeah. Well, let me leave you with this in 31. Um, then Jesus went to Capernaum. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, you missed 30. It's Jedi Matrix. Oh, you're right, you're right. So, Come on. Th- th- I think we have a picture of it. So these are the cliffs behind Nazareth. Um, and th- they were going to throw him off of that. This is how you stone somebody, right? So when I was a kid, I thought you just threw rocks at them until they were dead. You know how long that would take? And it really wouldn't work. So when you stone somebody, you take them to a nice high place and you throw them off so they break their legs and they can't move. And then you take one of these handy stones and you smash in their head. So it's a little more gore than people appreciate. So that's what Jesus was um, on the way to. One reason I love this photo, can you see the mountain in the background? That's Mount Tabor. Tabor, we say. That's where the transfiguration happens. So talk about... A neighborhood, right? Um, this is where I almost got killed by my hometown, and that's where I was announced to be God's chosen son. So, some some symmetry there. But Scripture tells us, but he, Jesus, slipped away through the crowd and left them. So tell me, he's not using like Steve says a Jedi mind trick. I'm not the rabbi you want to kill. I'm not, you know, something. How did this crowd that's trying to murder him? Wait, where did he go? I, I missed him. So. Maybe this was the miracle of Nazareth that Jesus got away. (laughs) But he's going back to his adopted home, Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And he taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There too the people were amazed with the things he said because he spoke with Shimka. 
So that's where we'll pick up next week uh, with Jesus going to Capernaum. But what does Jesus ultimately do about Capernaum? What does he talk about last week? He writes him a love letter. What does he do? He curses it. So Bethlehem, not great. Nazareth, really not great. Uh, Capernaum, not great. What kind of time did Jesus really have on earth? And we even got to Jerusalem yet where they killed him. <laughs> so I think it was a lot harder than we sometimes give the guy credit for. So I so, uh, got a challenge for you. Kind of do some work here. Is that okay? Um, these uh, people in Nazareth got incensed because uh, Jesus pointed out that God had blessed foreigners. God had blessed people that they thought were unblessable. Who are the people that God is placing in your path these days that maybe you or others believe may not deserve God's blessing? I want to challenge you not to ask God to bless them, because you see, that still keeps them at a distance. Ask God to bless you so that you will have the desire and vision to reveal his ways in their life. That's your challenge. Big challenge. Let's pray. Father, our God... We love you. We love your son. We are humbled to think about how much work you have gone through to make us redeemable. We are ever reminded that left our own devices, we truly are monsters. We will prey upon each other and create evil to the likes of which we can't stand. Thank you that your love sees through all this that you have reached out to us. You've stayed with us. Even when it's hard, you keep loving. You keep upping the ante, Father, by sending your son to die for us. We know it wasn't, it wasn't easy, ever. And yet he chose to do your will. Help us tonight to choose to do the same thing to be very clear in our mind where all this is going. For you are calling all people that will listen back to the mountain of heaven, back to Zion, back to the place where you reside. You call the Jews back home. You call us to go with them. May we answer that call. Not be lost in what we think you should do or get caught up in telling you how to do it. But let us be like Jesus, as he said in the garden. Not my will be done, but yours. Father, may that be said of us. For whatever we did, whatever we thought, we did God's will. And we loved like Jesus. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace. Good night, y'all.